have you ever been around someone who was just a total evil person? Just when you think about that person, uh, when you look at them, all you can sit there and be like, nope, nothing good's ever coming out of that person. That person is just entirely evil. Their life is full of them doing wrong. You look at their life and it's like, wow, that, that person hasn't done a right thing in their entire life. And, and I hope that you don't feel this way, but maybe secretly in your heart, you're sitting there thinking to yourself, wow, if, if that, that person is genuinely just taking up space on the face of the planet. I think that there are some people who would fit into that really evil category when we think about it. Maybe your mind went to Adolf Hitler, um, an ultimately evil individual. Maybe it went to Joseph Stalin or Saddam Hussein or someone like that who, who is responsible for the death of so many. Uh, but, but I think that those are obvious. Maybe when you look in your life, there's someone who you're like, man, that person I go to school with, evil, terrible person, not a good person at all, and, and you look at their lifestyle and nothing about it is good. Maybe it's someone who you work with. Maybe that person is constantly living in sin, and you're like, if I, if I'm seen with that person, I'm going to be thought of as a sinner. I'm going to have a horrible reputation. Or maybe, have you ever been around someone who is so far distant from the social class that you're in? When I say that, imagine if Jeff Bezos were to walk into here tonight and say, hello, anyone else um, have half my wealth? And, and I would say, if, if there's anyone in here who could match that, it would be awesome. We've outgrown our auditorium, so just know that. Um, if you can have half of Bezos as well. Um, but anyways, uh, it, maybe Jeff Bezos walks in and, and you say there and you look at yourself and you're like, wow, that man financially... Um, has me, if you don't know who that is, he's the owner of Amazon, just to clarify. Um, he has me financially outmatched. I'm not in the same social class as he is. Or, or maybe it's not money-wise. Maybe it's the person who you would look at and say, my social standing and, and who I am, the people I get to spend time with, I, I'm so far superior to those people. You don't even know. I, I'm just that much more popular. Maybe, maybe they are uh, someone who you look at and, and they're so far ahead of you in the social standings. You're like, I'm the total kid who, who nobody wants to talk to versus, uh, versus this person who everybody wants to talk to. And, and you just feel like you don't belong with that person. At some point, whether it's at school or work, or, and I, I hope you have not felt this at church, but, but maybe even at church, we have felt this feeling of some sort. And in Joshua chapter 2, we're going to see two spies sent into the land uh, 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 where Jericho is, and, and they're sent to spy out this land, um, and, and we're going to see, uh, and they're going to be given this special mission of going to Jericho. That truck is incredibly loud, by the way. Um, just sounds very manly. Um, so if you want to go ahead and open up to Joshua chapter 2, that's where we're going to be tonight, be opening up there. We're going to pick up there this evening, and we're going to look at someone in Scripture who, who might have met the mold of, of the things that we just talked about. So if you're going to open up to Joshua chapter 2, we're going to begin um, in verse 1, and kind of we're going to get a little bit of a background of 
what's happening here. And I, I really think that there's a lot more, uh, like a lot of details are left out. But we start in verse 1. It says, And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. So you see these spies, they're going to go into Jericho and they're going to need a a place to sleep. Now, when you think about these Hebrew um, spies, these Israelite spies who have spent hundreds of years in Egypt and now they've wandered through the desert, you got to think that when they're coming into the land of Canaan, they're clearly not going to match the people of that land. They're clearly going to look different. They're people who have been... um, traversing the desert. They've, they're going to cross the Jordan shortly. And, and so when they come into the city of Jericho to spy it out, you can imagine that they're not necessarily going to people uh, that, that are going to fit in if you see their faces or if you see their natural clothes. And so they go into this home of Rahab to hide. Who was Rahab? See, because nothing about Rahab Um, was something that the Israelites would be around. So it's pretty fascinating that they choose Rahab to go to their home. She's one of these people, by the way, that we talked about earlier. She's one of these people that maybe you would look at and say, that person is total evil. There's nothing about them that I want to be around. She's that person who, who you would look at and say, yeah, there's a lot of reasons I don't want to spend time with you. For these two Israelite spies at this moment, there are a few very strong reasons why Rahab was not the clear choice for them to stay with. The first and foremost being she was a woman. And at this time period, uh, there was a big social difference between the men and the women of the time. And so for the spies, for them to work with a woman would have been frowned upon by so many people in the world, by most of the people in the world. They would have looked at them and said, you're crazy. What are you doing? What you're doing makes no sense. They weren't in the same social class. You would have seen one of them getting a lot more privileges than the others. And just by her gender alone, she would have been far below these two spies and social class. Another thing was she was not a visual. She was a Canaanite. She was, she was of the very people that these spies were going to seek out the land. Remember their, their goal? Destroy the Canaanites, all right? So they're going here and they're spying out this land. And, and not only was she a woman, she was a Canaanite. And, and they're going to their home to sleep. It doesn't make sense for a Canaanite to be hospitable to Israelites or Israelites to want to go into the home of a Canaanite. And the third thing, and, and, and maybe the most notable thing, is the fact that, that it says that she was a prostitute, which is the most immoral job that someone could have during those days. It was so immoral, as a matter of fact, Deuteronomy 18.9 describes the practices of the Canaanites as abominable. It sits there and says uh, that everything they do is evil. And yet even the Canaanites would have looked at Rahab and said, no, 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 no. We don't accept people like her. She is filthy. She is disgusting. She is a sinner. So it wasn't just the Israelites who was going to to view Rahab as, as something that was shameful. The whole world was going to look at Rahab and say, that is a job that is shameful and, and they should be ashamed and you are unclean. And yet these Israelite spies are going to stay at Rahab's, the outcast, the unwanted, the sinner, the lowly. 
And as I read this story, I can't help but wonder, with someone as, as um, evil, and we'll use the word evil here to just talk about how sinful she was, as a Rahab would have been, why would they choose her as a place to lodge? What allowed them to say, yes, we're going to Rahab's house? I, I think that there's a, a few reasons um, that that there could be chosen this house. I think that for, for two men, um, strange men entering the home of someone like Rahab was not going to raise suspicion. For, for any city guards, for anyone like that, they're not going to look at, at two um, strangers entering into the house of Rahab and say, what's going on there? That is, that is sketchy. That has to be some Israelite spies. There's a good chance that they could have avoided that. Um, and you have to think also that for the spies to choose this part of the, the city of Jericho, that this was not a necessarily great part of the town. Now, we are going to find out later that this was on the wall of the city, so that's kind of cool, but you got to think that if uh, Rahab is in her profession is in a place where maybe not a lot of people would go, maybe you would look at it and say, um, you know, that area is kind of dangerous. Um, for some reason, when I picture like the spies walking through Jericho at this moment, looking for a place to lodge, and, and I think a lot of you will, will probably get this right. I'm imagining like, like, um, like Maz Eisley, you know, the city on, on Tatooine and Star Wars. For some reason, when I think Jericho, I just think of like the sandy streets and the sandy walls and maybe Jabba's palace as well, things like that. Um, that's what I'm imagining when I think. But, but if, if you want to go, I can't believe I'm going into Star Wars right now. Maybe like, like uh, what's his name, the dude with the snout, Waldo, I think maybe. No, that's not. Whatever it is. I'm imagining like that area, very kind of sketchy, um, not a great spot. Um, and so it was probably a place that was not glamorous, that wealthy people and royal people and the guards were going to avoid. But I think that this question takes on a little bit more because what we're going to do is, is we're going to see something take place in verse 2 that changes the storyline a bit. They don't stay as discreet as they want to. What's it say in verse 2? It says, and it was told to the king of Jericho. So news is sent to the king of Jericho. Behold, men of Israel have come here to search out the land. They'd heard of Israel. They know what's going on. They know who these people are. And the king is told they're here to spy it out. They're on a conquest and they're, they're here to, to, to spy it out. I think it's interesting that the person reporting says they have come here. Now, they could have been referencing Jericho as a whole. But I think it's interesting that following that, um, in verse 3, we see that they immediately go to the home of Rahab. So this could possibly mean that it was a neighbor of Rahab. Maybe it was another person in her profession who was going to sit there and say, hey, Rahab has taken on these spies of Israel. But they're going uh, to the king, and the king goes directly to Rahab to see what takes place. Now, I want us to look at some altered situations here. The spies are going to go to Rahab. In a minute, we're going to find out that Rahab had heard about God and that she feared God. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But imagine they had gone to one of these local people who had possibly reported that the spies had been seen going into this area. Say it was a neighbor who reported it and the spies show up at the neighbor's house and knock on the door and they say, hello, may we have lodging? Man, they can go right in and, and the people would still give the king a call and, and it just would happen that the king would come and arrest them, and, and bad news would happen, and they could very well be executed. It could have been another person in Rahab's profession, and the same thing could have happened where money as a reward was valued higher than maybe the, uh, the protection 
of God. I think we can look at this story and see the spies go to Rahab and, and maybe assume a few different reasons. And I think um, there are a few that I would say this is how they ended up at Rahab's. I think in the lowliest of the chances, um, maybe they chose the place of Rahab because they were men and they were drawn to the idea. I don't think that would very much be the case because these were men of God and, and, and Joshua was, go was going to choose them. But perhaps they chose the home of Rahab because it was one of the few homes that was on the wall and they knew the exit would be easy and it was one of the few wall homes they could access. Maybe it just made sense for that issue. Or perhaps, just maybe, it was coincidence that they ran across someone in the city who felt passionately that God was real. And when I say it was coincidence, I'm not sure that with God you can sit there and say it was coincidence. But maybe the fact that the Spirit was going to lead these spies to the home of Rahab so that his plan could be thoroughly completed. Nonetheless, whatever option it may have been, these men are hidden. And if you remember, uh, as we go into this next passage, Rahab is going to accept these men. She's going to protect them. But she's not yet received the law of the Lord. She understands that God is powerful. We're going to find that out in a minute. And I, I probably could have gone ahead and read that. But, but we're going to find that out in a minute. But in general, Rahab is still living the lifestyle that she wants. She has never heard the law of the Lord. And so she's going to handle this next situation um, a little bit differently than maybe a follower of God would have handled it. We're going to be in verse 3. And we're going to do a little bit of reading as we go on. Um, but I think it's important to read these verses and to really get a full idea of what the Bible is saying. Verse 3. The king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where they went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up on the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So she sends and hides the spies, and then she sends the king of Jericho on this wild goose chase outside the city. Rahab's clever in this moment. But remember who this moment is, that she has just lied to the king. Remember who she is. She isn't some person who is so nice to be welcomed by into her home. No, she's a prostitute. She is the ultimate undesired person of the day. She is the person who's living in sin. She's the person that you really don't want at all your name to be associated with. She is the person that has nothing in common with you based on your heritage. Here's the thing about Rahab, though, is that she's about to reveal, and we've mentioned it several times already, but in verses 8 through 10, we're going, she's going to reveal why she was willing to sit there and, and risk her life in Jericho, risk her, her really her life in general um, to help these spies. Verse 8, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land, listen to this, melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and, when you did, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, 
Here it, is, here it is again. Our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Here's Rahab, this ultimate person of the world. And all Rahab is doing is saying, look, I understand who this God is. I understand that he is God. I understand that more than anything else, he has power over everything. You guys are here, and I'm going to serve him because I have a chance. And I think it's interesting that she brings up that, he, that the things that she has heard that has caused her to believe. She brings up dried up the Red Sea and she brings up the destruction of the Amorites. You want to talk about how momentous of an occasion the Red Sea was. This was 40 years after the Red Sea took place. Now, they might have not heard of the Red Sea until a little bit later, but let's just say news traveled to Jericho about the Red Sea splitting in two and all the Egyptians dying earlier uh, in time, maybe even right after it happened. These things are, are not super recent or nearby. It was, the, it was even the year ago when the Israelites had defeated all the Amorites. I want to put the Red Sea in comparison for just a minute. Um, who remembers in this room uh, when Mount St. Helens erupted? Can anyone give a hand raise? Like a few people. I think I saw four hands go up. Mount St. Helens erupted in 1980. You're doing the math. That's 40 years ago. 40 years before this moment in Rahab's life, the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. And so for, for Rahab to sit here and be like, oh man, you want to talk? We have heard about the Red Sea. We heard about what God did there. I want you to imagine for a minute, you're walking next to a volcano right now. And how cool would it be to be walking next to a volcano? But you look at the volcano and you say, you know what? Mount St. Helens. We got to be careful of this volcano. Or maybe, maybe, um, I can't believe I'm going back to Star Wars. Maybe though, for yourself, you, you have spent time uh, and, and you have not seen a Star Wars movie. And this year they're releasing the first Star Wars movie since Empire Strikes Back. And you sit there and you say, wow, Empire Strikes Back, great movie. This next one's going to be awesome. This is the mindset. It's, it's a long time ago. It's 40 years. Four of you remembered where Mount St. Helen was. I'm sure a few of you would have remembered Empire Strikes Back. But to put the uh, destruction of the Amorites in comparison, if you remember last year, there wasn't coronavirus. And, and that really helps uh, put that in perspective. Yet for Rahab and so many others in the city, what you see is that they are melting away in fear of God. Because what they've seen the Israelites do is they've seen the Israelites go throughout these places. They saw them tear through Egypt. They saw them go through the Red Sea. They saw them destroy the people of the Amorites and these kings who were so powerful. And they're afraid. They're melting away before God. And Rahab looks at this opportunity as these spies walk into her house by, by whatever reason they walked in. And, and she says, you know what? This is my opportunity to be on God's side in this story. God is coming, and I want to choose him. So she's going to side with the spies to help them. And this is admirable. And we as Christians, as we, we look at Rahab, as we, as we read the story, and we're like, Rahab, hero, good person. 
She did great things. She helped save the spies. She helped spy the, the spies. You know, it was going to lead to a day when they can march around Jericho and then the walls are going to come tumbling down. Um, should we sing a song? We won't right now. Don't worry. Um, but but <laughs> we as Christians look at Rahab as a hero for doing this. But what I fear is that if Rahab was in our modern world, if Rahab were to walk into our churches today, walk into our presence today, get near us today, and we would look at her and scorn her for ever even trying to believe in God. Even though she wanted to follow God, she was going to lie to protect the spies. Hey, she might have heard about the crossing of the Red Sea 40 years ago and started believing in God then, but she had to eat. She was going to continue on in her profession and her life of prostitution so she could put food on the table. And I, I feel that, that if Rahab were to be sitting here and she would have helped the spies and, and been a, tried to follow God, we would look at her and look at her and say, no, 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 you're not a real follower of God. You're, you're not someone who truly wants to serve God, even though we look at her in this story as a follower of God. But I think that for all of us, we would look at her and say, your, your life isn't perfect. You aren't following God in the way that you should, and we would make her miserable. And I want to ask this question, why would this not be fair to Rahab? Someone, someone like Rahab, who's lived in the city of Jericho, has found out about God, and she's starting this process of belief. Why would it not be fair to Rahab if we were to walk in and say, Rahab, you're pathetic. You're a pathetic follower of God. Why? You're, you're, you're a loser. Rahab has never heard the law. Rahab really doesn't know any better. Sure, she, she knows that prostitution is something that would have been seen as dirty. She probably knows that lying is not okay. But for her to sit there and, and, and lie in this situation and live her lifestyle in the way she was living it and, and have all these other things that were probably a part of her life, she has never heard the law of God. The only thing she's heard about God is, hey, the people of Israel have crossed the Red Sea. The people of Israel have destroyed the people in, in the land of the Amorites. This is all she knows. And so for her in this moment, for us to sit here, if she were to walk in today, for us to sit here and scorn her, it would be sitting here and scorning someone who has never heard anything about God. And I, I fear that if we knew of someone who says, yes, 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 I, I want to follow Jesus, and they say, I'm, I think I can follow Jesus in this way, and we look at their life and they're not exemplifying him at all, we would sit there and say, what are you doing? You're not living life right. Well, what do you mean? They could read their Bible and find out how to read or, and find out how to live their life. Wasn't the Ethiopian eunuch riding along in his chariot reading scripture, not understanding a word of it? He needed to be taught. See, what I fear is that we look at people in our world, people who who we would sit there and say, man, you, you say you're a Christian, but, but you, you're not living it at all. And we have never taken the time to teach them. We started this class out tonight asking, hey, <laughs> who's someone in your life who you know is evil? Who's someone who, who you have nothing in common with? Who's a different social class than you? 
maybe is, is living less of a Christian life than you are. And how many of those people who you would have thought of would fit in the same category as Rahab did in this moment? They would fit in the same category as Rahab because they're different from you, because maybe they haven't been raised in the church, maybe they had a rough upbringing, maybe they have a life that looks a lot more sinful than yours does. Do we realize that they could want to find Jesus just as much as Rahab wanted to find God and follow God in this moment? See, if if the spies had looked at Rahab for who she was, she would have died in Jericho. If the spies had walked into Rahab and said, you know what, you're you're a prostitute, you're an evil person, you're a Canaanite, you're a woman, and, and left and gone somewhere else, that Rahab would have sat there and she would have died in Jericho. She would have not survived the collapsing of the walls or the torching of the city. She would have been nothing And what's terrifying is that if we look at people who don't understand Scripture, who who are trying to follow God and trying to do their best, and and they're trying to do these little things, and they're in our life, and we watch them from afar, and we say, man, that person has no idea what they're doing, and we don't take the time to stop and teach them, they're going to be nothing, and they will die. But I want us to look at at an alternative universe, uh, and I say an alternative universe, that sounded really dramatic, but I want us to look at an alternative side of the story as if the spies um, would have, have not gone to Rahab, had not hidden in the city, and they would have been seen, and the king would have captured him and possibly killed them. How would this story be different? Now, I'm not saying that God's plan would have not been fulfilled, but, but you could have lost two spies because of this. They could have died. If she doesn't hide them and, and really divert the king, it could have easily been captured and destroyed. It took them branching out of their place, their comfort zone, in order to survive. And here's where I think that we can be extremely challenged. If we look in our life and see someone who's misguided, living a life of sin, and who's willing to be taught about our Savior and we don't reach out to them, I think that there's a serious chance that our Savior could look at us and say, do you really love me? And we can miss out on that grace that Christ brings upon us and we could be destroyed. See, one thing that I think that is so terrifying for for us as Christians in our world today is that we're relying on our churches to be grown by children who are being born into the church. The church will grow over time. Don't worry. We'll raise our kids and they'll have children and and they'll raise their children and, and the church will continue to grow in that way. See, here's the thing is our churches must grow by those of us who have been saved reaching out to those in the world who need to be taught who Jesus is. There are billions of Rahabs in the world, and for some reason, we have become content with having 12 new Christians added to our local churches each year, and 10 of those being people who were born into the church. 
We've become content with this idea that, that even though there are billions of people who have no idea who Jesus is, who, who live this life not understanding a thing about him, who live this life where they are even seeking Jesus, and we're content with, with walking into a church building on a Sunday morning and a Sunday night and a Wednesday evening and, and watching the world tie around us and not reaching out to them, not extending a hand to them and saying, here, let me guide you in the way that Jesus would say to live. It's time for us to start reaching out to those Rahabs in our life, to get past the fact that they're not perfect, to, to, to start teaching them in love what it means to be a follower of Christ. And I think that Rahab is a beautiful example. And what we're going to get to do is we're going to read um, uh, verse 12 through 21 here in just a minute and we're going to uh, and we're going to read these verses and, and really see what happened in Rahab's life that is such an encouragement to us to sit there and say hey here is why we need to be doing this um, I know this is a long passage but let's read it together so she she says hey I know who God is he's powerful verse 12 now then please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, and you also will deal kindly with my father's house, and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, "Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell us this business, or if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you." And then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built in the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills or the, or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect uh, to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we have come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you have let us down. And shall gather into your house your father and your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. If a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell us this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to the oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. So she sent them away, and they departed. And notice how she immediately ties a scarlet cord in the window. So they say, hey, if you want to survive, Tell the, tie this cord in your window. And then they follow the instructions she gives them, and they end up going and arriving safely back to Joshua and giving a report. And we're about to read a little bit more. Because later that year, the Israelites are going to roll into the region of Jericho. And we see in verse 1 of chapter 6 that the entire city of Jericho is on lockdown. They're like, oh boy, here come these big bad Israelites rolling into town, city on lockdown, total quarantine. We relate to Jericho big time. Um, but we get to chapter 6 now. We're going to see post-destruction, post-marching, post-walls tumbling down in Jericho. We see um, what happens in chapter 6. It says, verse 22, But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her, as you swore to her. So the young men... 
who have been spies, went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all who belonged to her, so many people. And they brought out all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel and they burned the city with fire, everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put in the treasury of the house of the Lord. Verse 25, but Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. I know that was a lot of reading, but I, but I hope that you were able to follow along. Notice who was saved in this moment. Notice the, the, who was saved by the doing of really what the spies did, where they said, you know what, I, I'm going to go into this home of Rahab. See, it wasn't just Rahab who was saved. It was her entire family. It was her father and mother and brothers and sisters and all of her relatives. Her entire family was saved. Why? Because the spies were willing to work with someone who was the dirt of the earth, someone who was different, someone who was misunderstood, someone who was living in sin. And because of that, Rahab's entire family was able to join the children of Israel and have the opportunity to be saved. And it goes past this because in Matthew chapter 1, it's going through the genealogy of Jesus. And verse 5 says, And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by whom? By Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. See, because of Rahab, a whole genealogy was formed that led to Jesus. And if it wasn't for the spies going to this home of this freak, that genealogy would have never happened. Those people who, who were followers of God would have never been followers of God. So what about that freak that you thought about at the beginning of this lesson? What about that person you know who's evil, that person who cares nothing about Jesus? What about that person who's following Jesus but has no idea how to do it? What are you going to do about them? See, when we choose to look at people and look at their souls and move onward from the sin that's in their life and say they need Jesus, to move onward from, from the differences that we have in social class and, and say they need Jesus, to, to move onward from our pride and arrogance of being more spiritual than they are, the world has an opportunity to change. Souls will be saved when you choose to have one person move onward or move onward from the, the sin in one person's life, there's a chance that thousands will be saved because of the time you took with that specific Rahab in your life. When I was in high school, I was a, a young high schooler at the time. I had a friend in the youth group who was constantly berating a friend at school, hey man, you should come to church with me. And constantly telling him you should come to church with him and, and, and constantly just begging him. And finally this guy said, all right, whatever, I'll come on a church retreat with you. And sure enough, that guy came on the retreat, heard the gospel, and after continuously studying the gospel, decided, you know what, maybe I should become a Christian. 
And he went and he studied the gospel with his family. And soon his siblings became Christians. And it wasn't long after that that his parents became Christians. And now the guy who was reached out to all those years ago is now sitting there working in ministry. Why? Because he has the desire to, to reach out to all these other souls and do it for a living. All because one guy looked at a guy who was a Rahab in high school and said, you should come to church with me. God's awesome and he can make an impact in your life. I tell that story not because it's a rare story that happens like rarely and, and it never really does. I tell that story because stories like that happen all the time. Are you going to be the one who makes an impact on an entire family's life like these spies made an impact in the life of Rahab?